All right, so hey, that's all the content I've got leading into this outstanding interview with Nate Edwards, Rock M Nation. Mizzou fans, you're going to love this one, and I think the rest of the SEC, you'll get something out of this one. This was a great interview. All right, we're pleased to be joined once again by the man himself, Nate Edwards, Rock M Nation. Love the podcast, love the website. Go check it out. Covers the Missouri Tigers, of course. And uh, give him a follow at Nate G. Edwards on the Twitter machine. And as you can, you're about to find out, video is now part of Rock M Nation's repertoire. So, uh, Nate, thanks so much for making your video debut on the show. <laughs> Yes. Th thanks for having me. It's been a while. And uh, yeah, we, we've made the jump to video and it's nice to uh, have a fellow video conversationer uh, to have a talk about football. Let's do this. All right. Well, hey, there's a lot of positive momentum uh, in Columbia based on the re returning production that the Tigers have hiring an offensive coordinator. There's options at quarterback. I want to ask you about all that, Nate. But before I do, I'm going to start on a little bit of a downer here because I I just want to get your thoughts because you're much closer than I am to the Missouri program. But as I, as we sit here and in, you know, people around the SEC, it's only natural, Nate, to sit here and say, after three years, Eli Drinkwitz is 17 and 19 overall. He's 11 and 15 in SEC play. He's 0 and 2 in bowl games. Now that does include obviously COVID, transfer portal, NIL, and an all SEC schedule in his debut. So, we have to factor all that in, but at the same time, just look at Barry Odom in his four years there, 25 and 25, 13 and 19 in SEC, 0 and 2 in bowl games. I mean, their, their resume is virtually identical. Is this what Missouri is, or have they hired two average coaches, or I, I don't know. I, I know that's a lot of questions thrown at you, but how would you sum up uh, all that? Accurate. I'd say that's accurate. You can't argue with numbers. Um, and of course, the thing Barry had going for him was he had that breakout 2018 year. You know, had a great team, had an NFL quarterback and Drew Locke. Yeah, they only went like, you know, nine and five. But like you you could see that that team was so much better than what its record was. It was some really bad bounces away. So like Barry even had a feather in his cap, you know, being a ranked Florida on the road. I think that's the thing with Eli. You know, the, the, the question that we are asking yourself, I mean, we can always rally around Eli Drinkwitz in this program. We can point to things that we like, but I think deep down we're all going, what is an Eli Drinkwitz program? What are, what are we getting here? And yeah, it is, it is a basically a 500 record. Uh, 0-2 in bowl games. We haven't won one since 2014. That was Gary Pinkle. We are hoping this is not it. We're all hoping this is not it. And I think we've had seasons in the SEC where we have shown, no, this isn't just it. You can grow a team. You can rally around a scheme. You can deploy those guys better than anybody else. You can get lucky a couple times, and you can end up in the SEC championship game. We have shown that is the case. So I don't think Missouri is that consistently. I also don't think, you know, where it's four and eight, five and seven. I don't, I don't think that's where we're at. Maybe we are a six-win team. Maybe we are a seven-win team. But it would be a lot nicer if you had some marquee wins. If you won a postseason game every once in a while, we're getting some recruiting wins, which is great. And we are, we seem to be kind of the home for lost boys when it comes to blue chippers who can't start in other SEC programs, which fine by me. 
But there is a lack of identity and there's a lack of proof of concept. And I think Eli Drinkwitz was able to answer one half of that with hiring Blake Baker and saying, all right, we are an aggressive, havoc-focused defense. But boy, the shift-heavy run first, second, and third offense is not really an identity you can build around in the SEC. So we're really hoping Kirby Moore is the second part of that answer where he brings an identity on the offense that even if it is the same style, there is a noticeable schematic difference, some kind of attitude, some type of way that they play or some way that they attack defenses that goes, this is why you come to Mizzou. Because Eli Drinkwitz, other than the recruiting trail, he's not being able to bring it. So maybe we are six or seven wins every year, which there are worse things in the world to be. Uh, ask Vanderbilt, but like I, I don't think that's I don't think that's the potential here. And if Eli can't get past that this year, then there might be a chance that we're trying to find someone who can unlock that potential. And any chance, I mean, we could sit here in, in hypotheticals all day, but had they upset Georgia, do you think that would have changed the narrative around Drink heading into this year? I think so. I mean, it's hard to ignore upsetting the national champs, which right. I mean, even if they did lose to Missouri, they were gonna they were gonna win the national championship anyway. Um, so yeah, very much like Missouri rallied around uh, the the defeat of LSU in 2020 during the COVID season. We beat the defending national champs on our home turf. We milked that win for as long as we could. That that was a win that fan bases pointed back to during the 21 season losses and go, no, 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 no. See, he knows what he's doing. He just needs time. He needs players. He needs whatever. So, yeah, I think beating Georgia would have absolutely done that. Um, now he didn't. And it's cool that Missouri was like the one team that played Georgia close last year. That doesn't count for a whole lot on the recruiting trail or on job security. Now, the school has clearly invested in Drinkwitz. He got the raise. They expanded his salary pool for his assistance. They've given him facilities. They've given him basically everything that he wants. So there's no excuses on the athletic director side of what they need to do. They have delivered what he has asked for. Now it is completely on him. And whether he does get some upsets this year or hell, just just win seven games, uh, that's going to go a decent distance in separating himself from those, what we will generously call building years of 2021-22. If he can get a winning record in year four with a team that, other than 11 dudes, is 100% his, Fans and maybe even outsiders can start saying, okay, this is where he turns the corner. This is now an Eli Drinkwitz program. But if he can't do that, if he can't get a big upset or he can't get a winning record, then I think that stigma sticks with them. And that's why I think it's going to be tough to say, you know, keep him around, you know, whatever he does, if you can't get a winning record in year four, it's going to be a tough argument to, to get him to stick around. Well, reason for hope. Again, sorry to start on the negative, but there is a ton of optimism. I speak to a lot of Mizzou fans, and they, boy, when Bill Connolly put out his returning production, I mean, I'm, I got tagged on that about 20 times here because Missouri, number two in the entire SEC, number one, if you just look at their defense, which was outstanding last year considering uh, the, the overall talent they had to work with, um, does that lead you to believe I know you did an excellent breakdown on your Rock M Nation podcast, reason for optimism, but at the same time, just because you're returning production doesn't guarantee you anything, but there are, there are strong indications that when you do that, the win total rises. What's your anticipation that uh, Missouri can, can do that and have a winning record this year? 
Yeah, I hope it's true. I, just because you return a lot does not mean it's going to improve. And, you know, Bill C is one of the first to say that. But you are way more likely to do so. Um, you know, if you look back, especially on that defense, everybody that they lost were, you know, backups, role players. Didn't really see a lot of time. You are other than, you know, Martez Manuel, Isaiah McGuire, DJ Coleman. Obviously, you're going to miss those guys a lot. They had a lot of production, especially on the Havoc side. But, you know, really what it comes down to, at least what Bill's telling us this year, is that it's experience making tackles and being on the field. And Missouri returns a ton of that. Their strength in their defense last year was twofold. Number one, they blow you up, right? About 26% of the time they're going to get some kind of Havoc play. That's a tackle for loss. It's a pass broken up, interception, sacks, all that sort of stuff. The second thing that was their strength was they had a lot of depth, especially on that defensive line. They could come at you in waves. And so, yes, you return a lot, but what is behind that? And the good news about a Blake Baker defense is that those havoc kind of plays, they come from everybody. Yes, there's going to be guys that are better at it than others, but everybody contributes in some way. So, the contribution level of last year's defense was high. Therefore, the returning production is high. You have some interesting pieces coming in. Travis Johnson from Florida, Joe Moore from Arizona, uh, Austin Firestone out of Northwestern. Plug in those gaps of the people that left. Hope that you can keep that depth. If the depth and the havoc stand like they were last year and, you know, opposing offensive coordinators can't, uh, you know, can't overcome even on tape what they see from Blake Baker's style, Absolutely. This defense could be one of the best in the SEC. It's not like a Georgia or an Alabama that's going to stop you outright. It's a it's a ticking time bomb. It's going to make you go, you know, 20 yards back, 20 yards forward. But if they keep that habit consistent, it could be incredible. You can win a lot of games that way. The issue, and you talked about the options, that, that goes to the offensive side, right? Missouri returns almost everything on offense. None of those guys were all that great. That was the problem last year. This is the first year that Eli Drinkwitz doesn't lose his his leading rusher, and both guys were fine. They're okay. Uh, you have two quarterbacks who played last year. Brady Cook was injured for most of it. Jake Garcia was getting destroyed at Miami. Like, okay, experience, good. Production, good. Are you any good, though? That's the question. We don't know about Brady. He, was, he didn't have a shoulder for half the year. We don't know about Jake. He played in an offense that was basically just glorified hamburger. So the options are, are are plenty, but we don't know who's actually going to win and play. And that goes to the offensive line last year. You know, you we I came onto your show and you asked me, how do you feel about the offensive line? I said, I feel okay. We got lots of options. Mike, I think you know my team better than I do because you nailed it on the head. The offensive line was an absolute liability. They returned almost everybody who played, but who's going to play? We still have a 280-pound center who we still think is the center. That's not going to cut it. So it's a very interesting place to be in because they do return almost everything. But how much of that works together, how much of that can execute the scheme, and for the love of God, can somebody bulk up and run against an SEC defensive line, please? Like, that's that's what we're looking for. So defensively, we're not worried. We feel really good about that. Offensively, it's a lot of questions. And while there's a lot of potential and there's a lot of options to fill those spots, because we don't have those answers, that's what keeps gives us gas. That's what keeps us up in the middle of the night. Well, you hit on the quarterback uh, competition. How large does that loom over the entire thing? Because we give these quarterbacks too much credit. We give them too much blame. Uh, Brady Cook, you, you know, 
at times looked good, at times looked like he didn't deserve to be a starting quarterback in the SEC, but I I don't even think that's fair to say because after the season we come to find out he was injured all year. So how do you really evaluate him? Jake Garcia, I have no idea what they're getting out of him. And then, of course, Sam Horn, that's a, that's a quarterback all fans want to see. He got dinged up during baseball. Uh, how critical is this competition to having a good season? And you could say it's going to make or break Eli Drinkwitz's career at Mizzou. It's it's a fair point to make. He has yet to really figure out the quarterback position. You know, when he came in to Columbia in 2020, he started with he inherited Sean Robinson and Connor Bazelak. Started Sean the first two games, flipped to Connor Hatman you know, for the rest of the games, and then Connor had a busted knee for all 21, transferred away. So, like, we never really had a situation where we feel good about quarterback under Eli Drinkwitz, and that was supposed to be his whole thing. So, Brady Cook. I like Brady Cook. I'm probably more of a Brady Cook defender than most of the Missouri fan base. And I think once everyone found out he was injured, some of that went away. Some of the criticism went away, especially when you think about how how tough he was running into contact with one shoulder. Uh, but, yeah, his strength was clearly running the ball. And his liability was trying to make plays through the passing game. And when you can't throw the ball, that makes a lot of sense. So we don't, we still don't even really know what Brady Cook can do. We know he's an excellent runner. We knew that back from the bowl game in 21. But what can he do as a passer? We saw a little bit of that against Louisiana Tech, but come on, it was Louisiana Tech. What are you actually going to learn from that? So <clears throat> he's been injured. He's been, He was out all spring. He did not practice in the spring. Jake Garcia comes in. Again, he had a horrible time last year in Coral Gables. We don't, you can't really take anything from what he did there and translate it to the SEC. We know he's got a rocket of an arm. Cool. Can he read defenses? Can he read SEC defenses? We're not that much of an upgrade on the offensive line. How is he going to do there? He took a ton of sacks last year. Is that going to happen again? And then, yeah, Sam Horn busted your elbow. But, you know, like that he was limited in spring too. So if your options are a super mobile guy, a highly ranked blue chipper who just went through hell, and a blue chip prodigy who also injured himself in baseball, those are tough options. Now you could say Jabari Johnson from Tacoma, Washington, but he's a freshman. He's still in Washington right now. No, not really an option. Eli Drinkwitz and Kirby Moore have to get this right. They have to get it right. And Eli has not really had to deal with quarterback injuries. Even going back to his Boise State days, it was just Ryan Finley. Ryan Finley the entire time. He did not have to juggle this sort of thing. He did not have to work hard at figuring this out. And yet here he is. And it's been a really interesting process. So I do, I'm not going to vote. I don't see the practices. Uh, for me, my intuition would be whoever sticks with the guys, whoever can execute the game plan, who's got enough experience to guide you through the year. Mm. If that's Jake. If that's, if that's Brady, if it's Sam, I don't care. But they have to get this right. Because this offense has been lacking a quarterback, an effective quarterback for three years. That can't be true for a fourth. What are the early returns on uh, the, the offensive coordinator, Kirby Moore, that you're hearing? Because this is the first time Drake has ever hired an offensive coordinator play caller. Uh, I, I know he kind of seeded some of those duties apparently late in the year. And that's what I thought was their best offense. So so clearly I think this is needed. Um, but... And he's not the only one. There's there's coaches around the SEC, Hugh Freeze, Jimbo Fisher doing the same thing. I think there's these coaches realize there's just so much on their plate. Adding this to it 
is uh, not always the best decision. What's the early returns you're hearing on Kirby Moore? It's it's spring practice, so everyone's feeling pretty good about it. Um, <laughs> you know, from what we were able to hear, there's a lot of vertical passing, which great. We heard that the past couple springs, but it's always good to hear. Um, a lot of shifts, a lot of motions, stuff that Eli Drinkwitz has done before. Really, what we're looking for is the 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 game day manager, right? The wartime general. You can be great in practice. You can be great in peacetime. How are you when it's live fire? And and what we saw from Kirby Moore in Fresno, he was very adaptable. He was willing to change scheme on the fly. He would always adapt to the players he had at hand. And he had to deal with a quarterback injury last year when Jay Kaner went down uh, and then Logan Fife came in. They completely changed the way they played because Logan Fife was much more limited than, than Hayner was. So, so far, I mean, the players like the scheme. They're hearing a lot of good things about, you know, his ability to to call plays and get, and get into a good groove and figure out what's going to work. He moved Luther Bird into the slot, which uh, my co-host BK and I have been clamoring for since last year. Uh, you know, Luther Burden's a slot guy, not an outside guy. Um, so we are hearing good things, but you always hear good things in the spring. What I'm really curious is how he calls a game. How does he manage all the players that he has? How does he deploy it on the field? And can he call a script that doesn't involve running on third and six every single time? Like it can't, we can't be doing that. We can't be doing that. And that's all Eli Drinkwitz wanted to do. So I, I love Eli, what he's done for the program. I think he's done a great job with, you know, lifting up the recruiting, getting the fan base excited, but yeah, the modern football coach, college football coach, you, you are more of a pitch man than a scheme guy. And you need to be out there pushing the program rather than pushing the books on the, on the players. So I hope, and I think that this is going to give us a different set of eyes on how Missouri executes on offense. And hopefully we get some fresher ideas and some better execution instead of calling the same four plays 75% of the time. Well, any, uh, concern or uh, maybe that's not the right word but you already referenced the offensive line not quite living up to the expectations now following spring we we've switched our coaches here we got uh brandon jones i believe is his name the new new offensive line coach who he has a solid resume not as an offensive uh, uh play caller but that's that's not what he's coming in here to do he's, he's coming in to be an offensive line coach where he's got a lot better track record do you it's early, and I, this is probably an impossible question for you to answer, but do you think that's an upgrade, downgrade? What's your thoughts on that? I'm going to view it as an upgrade until proven wrong <laughs> at this point. Um, Marcus Johnson, I love Marcus Johnson. I thought he he was able to do a lot with a little. And, you know, Barry Odom and his staff had this nasty habit of just recruiting the biggest dudes and then saying, we'll figure it out. And Marcus Johnson turned a lot of those guys into quality offensive lines for two years. Now, last year, it kind of ran out. Your talent was young. Uh, the guys who were left over were okay. And then you had a bunch of injuries, both to your uh, to your right tackle, both right tackles. And then surprise, your, your, your center that you were banking on was academically ineligible. So I think he did the best with what he had. Um, but I understand that he gets to reset the clock, if you will, by going to Purdue. Uh, and then he deals with the fan base who um, you know, is new and, and doesn't get mad at him if, if something goes wrong. So I, I get that. Um, as far as Jones, 
he was renowned as an offensive line coach. I think he was a little, seems like he was a little over his head as a coordinator, which that's fine. That happens, but he has a great reputation of turning out offensive lines. And, you know, we have the transfer from Eastern Michigan, uh, Marcellus Johnson, Vincey Polgard, the aforementioned academically ineligible center from last year. He is apparently going to be eligible this year. You know, Javon Foster is is a good college tackle. Xavier Delgado is a fine guard. He's replacement level guard. And then, you know, at right guard, we lose Connor Wood, but Armand Mimbu, EJ and Doma Ogar, these are guys who flash potential and didn't really play all year, but when they were in, it was awesome. So there are options. We go back to the trap from last year. Michael, we have options. Uh, it's finding the right five, though. And we've already seen some of the effects of Brandon's coaching. We've had two guys enter the portal, like literally two days after Jones took over. Um, so I think he is figuring out who is going to work and who's not. He put out five offers like the day that he showed up on campus to offensive line transfers, uh, including Cameron uh, Johnson from, from Houston, who's a highly regarded uh, transfer offensive lineman that, of course, everybody wants because he's big and he's good. Again, we feel good about it. He's been on the job for two weeks, so there's no way he could have screwed it up. Or there's a few ways he could have screwed it up, but he didn't do it. And we've seen the effects of this coaching with already two guys leaving and a bunch of guys getting offered. So at this point, you know, we feel good. But again, what's it like when when we're in live fire? What do you actually trot out as your offensive line, your starting five? Do you have a sixth or seventh guy that you trust? It's all about that development and deploying the right five. And while I trust him to be the right hire and trust him to do the right thing, I got to have to see it to, to actually believe it. Well, good, potentially good news. Texas A&M's uh, center just jumped into the portal. He was freshman, all SEC. Move mm. him up to the hot board. So, so I, I mean, you kind of just hit on this, but uh, I was going to ask you, transfer portal targets, It's the window opens on Saturday. I anticipate Missouri will be active there. They've been active under drink. You, you've already hit on offensive line. Any other positions you could see Missouri target in this second portal window? Yeah. Well, you're going to know the players a lot better than I do, but I can tell you what the needs are. You know, I, I would say that Missouri probably still needs one running back. Nothing against Cody Schrader, the FCS transfer from last year. Nothing against Nate Pete, the transfer from Stanford. Um, one was a very, uh, get you three yards, no more. One was I'll get you 20 or nothing. I like to find a little balance in between there because divorce Jones, our blue chipper running back great in small spurts, but you know, he's only going to be a second year player. It'd be nice to have maybe another option in the running back backfield, certainly an offensive lineman, ideally a center or a guy who can play center. Um, that would be really nice. Yeah. I mean, guards out there, that'd be cool too, but center is going to be the main focus there. Uh, Mizzou hosted a couple of defensive ends over the weekend. That's another place that you probably need another guy. They took in two already. I mentioned Austin Firestone and Joe Moore the third. It's just you got Johnny Walker and Arden Walker, and then everybody else is a freshman behind them, like incoming freshmen. So it would be nice to have some beef out there, even if Darius Robinson, our former interior lineman who's bounced outside, even with him, it'd be nice to have another experienced edge rusher just to have that depth because depth, like I said, was one of the two strengths of last year's defense um, outside of running back offensive line, uh, defensive end. I would say tight end just because there's not a lot of experience there, but I'd rather address those three first before we start, you know, making tight end a priority. Cause there are five guys on the roster who could, who could play it. Uh, and tight end passing game has not really been a staple of the Drinkwitz offense since his days at NC state. So 
Um, I would list those four with, with offensive linemen, again, a center being number one edge rusher, number two, running back third. And then if we can, if we can swing it at a tight end at fourth. All right. Last thing for you, Nate, I really appreciate all your time, but uh, not to circle back to the disastrous end to Barry Odom there, but I'm seeing some similarities in the schedule at least. Cause I was the idiot, Nate. I think I picked Mizzou second. I may have even had him win in the East that year. And my main thing was it was a veteran team. The schedule was incredibly forgiving, at least on paper. And then they come out here and they, what was it? Wyoming. They lost to in the opening day of game. So we don't have to talk about that, but could you see Missouri getting off to a five and Oh, four and one type start, which would be incredible, which I, I would imagine that fan base would be going wild. And I'll go over the schedule real quick. Just the initial games here, South Dakota at home. I mean, come on middle <laughs> Tennessee at home should be another layup Kansas state. That's the tricky one, but you're getting at at home little bit of a revenge factor. They were great. I, I believe they won their the Big 12 last year, so mm-hmm. that's not a given by any means. Memphis in St. Louis at Vanderbilt leading up to LSU, which may be the best team in the West. So I, I'm not throwing LSU in there, but the first couple, first five games, at least four out of those five, you should win. So could you see a 5-0, and 4-1 and one start here for the Missouri Tigers? Absolutely. And it scares the hell out of me. <laughs> Like, if it ever seems like Missouri's doing well, I'm like, all right, when's the rug going to get pulled out from under us? But seriously, this is – I love this schedule. This is how I would set it up, right? Because you you, you have a lot of incoming pieces, and it takes some time to gel, and fall practices are good for that. But, again, live games are better. So opening with an FCS opponent. If you have to play a Dakota, South Dakota heavy is the one you want to play. Okay, <laughs> they they haven't won any national championships recently. That's great. Uh, no disrespect to the Jackrabbits. I don't know I, what they are. I uh, think so. Coyotes. What, whatever. Whatever Midwestern Northern critter out there. They're going to be roadkill that day. Whew, there you go. Uh, start off with that. Okay, that's good. That, that should be a win. Middle Tennessee. I have a lot of respect for Rick Stock still. He's an institution. He's also a little bit past his prime. You should win that one at home, especially, and I don't know if you remember this, Barry Odom's first year on the job in 2016, he got railroaded by Middle Tennessee. So it'd be nice to get some payback there. Uh, Kansas State. Yeah, you don't want to be playing a conference champion in your third game, but they lose a lot. And I don't think Missouri is going to be sleepwalking into that game, if I can put it that way. I'm not saying that they were last year. I think they were geeked up. They were just outmanned from, from the gun. Yeah. Uh, and that's also where Brady Cook hurt himself. So that is a toss-up. That's an early toss-up. I like Missouri's chances, but that's certainly not a guaranteed win. Memphis and St. Louis, yeah, let's do this. I'll be there. We'll win. And then Vandy on the road. Well, Vandy on the road, that's where we lose, but – Benny is much improved, but I just, I like our defense. So yeah, I'm going to sit here and say five and oh, and man, I just, oh, it makes me uncomfortable, Mike. It makes me, <laughs> it makes me feel uncomfortable. But at the same time, if I'm following the numbers and I'm following my analysis, a lot of things point to an up year. These opponents that they're going against are coming off of either good years or rebuilding or kind of in the, in the sweller. And the way that we approach them, in the order that we approach them, it makes me feel good. So, yeah, 5-0 and start, 
what did I say on the show? I think I said five and zero start with a seven and five finish, something like that, uh, where you where you feel really good and maybe you're even ranked heading into week six uh, against LSU, and then you just you know hold on by, by with your thumbs and, and just kind of white knuckle it to the end. I think that's that's a definite possibility. All right, Nate, I can't thank you enough for joining the show. Can you tell the audience before you go, where's the best place to find all your work? Yeah, rockingnation.com. Been there for many, many years. We'll be there for many years from now. Um, if you like my face for some other reason or you like my voice, Rockin' Radio, that's wherever you find your podcast. Uh, we'd love to have you. love for you to interact with us on our YouTube channel. Uh, Rockin' Nation content is, I think it's pretty great, but I'm also a biased source. Uh, but hey, SEC Mike reads and listens to it too, so you should too. So check us out wherever Rockin' Nation is. We appreciate it. All right, so just want to say thanks to Nate for joining the show once again. And hey, shout out, given that video debut, if you're not on YouTube, Already, right here is your next reason to do it. See what Nate looks like. 